With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brebber and alongside me is Logan Camden and the Denver Nuggets just took a 3-1 lead, stealing both games from Miami on their own home floor. An incredibly strong team effort. Logan, what did you take away from this one? This is the best game that I've seen from the Denver Nuggets in these NBA Finals thus far. Uh, Just collectively, everybody together. And honestly, Carson, I thought they should have won this game more convincingly. Uh, You know, even though they do end up winning this game by double digits, uh, Jokic goes out with that really bad fifth foul. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You made a tweet about it after it happened. I mean, bam, completely flops on that. Uh, As the commentators love their favorite word, uh, he embellished the contact (laughs) just a little bit. And so it was a real, it seemed like it was going to be a real struggle, a real sweat down here to the wire. And maybe Denver had left the door open for Miami to make a comeback, but they emphatically shut the door. And I give a ton of credit for that uh, to Jamal Murray. Uh, Murray was making key passes down the stretch. Uh, Didn't really make a mistake. I mean, just great playmaking uh, throughout this game for Jamal. And in this series, uh, I don't know if you saw the stats, Pretty remarkable stuff. He's the first guy in NBA history to average 10 or more assists per game uh, in his first finals or first four finals games, or excuse me, 10 in each of those games. And then he's the second guy in NBA history to ever do that, Carson, save who is it? Give it to me. Magic Johnson has to be. Yes, sir. He's did it three times. I mean, he's in really rare company there. Great, great playmaking from him throughout I thought Bruce Brown did a great job closing this game out as well. And credit to Michael Malone for deciding to go with him down the stretch instead of Michael Porter Jr. I thought that was a great decision. You know, MPJ had his moments in this game, but shot was struggling. And uh, Bruce Brown is just has just more well-rounded impact. But uh, like I said, overall, this is the most impressed I've been with Denver. And I thought this was the best game they've played 
in this series thus far. Why is that? First, we can start off with the defense. I thought they were phenomenal defensively in this game from the jump. They forced 16 turnovers. Just great hands throughout, man. Contesting every shot, getting into all kinds of passing lanes. And not just hands, man. Feet, dude. Jokic sticking his foot mm -hmm. out there like he always likes to do, man. Breaking up those passing lanes. So I just thought really great activity. Really great force and turnovers tonight. And great defensive playmaking, but... Terrific engagement from the Nuggets throughout this game to not give up on any plays, to make sure they were contesting every shot. And then I thought, you tell me how you felt on this, Carson. I thought Miami kind of played themselves a little bit by blitzing and trapping Jamal so much. Like, I know that you don't want Jamal to single-handedly kill you, right? And he has done that in games. When it is one and they are switching off one-to-one, -one, Jamal has been a killer in the mid-range off pull-ups. Mm -hmm. He is one of the best tough buckets in basketball I thought it was kind of a misstep by Miami by blitzing and trapping him so much in this game. I mean, one, there were so many wide-open Jokic three-pointers at the top of the key where there were late rotations, and Jokic made him pay. He's a 47% shooter from behind the arc. That's about as good of a shot as you can get in all of basketball, and it's worth three points. Jokic was wide open a lot on those rotations, and then when they did make those extra rotations, it seemed like Miami was always out of position on the back end, too, where Denver had a counter. They were always sending somebody cutting to the basket off of that action, so it was almost like, here's free points, Denver. You can have it, and they played great off of Jamal in this one. They shot Carson 12 of 19 uh, off of Jamal passes overall in this game, and they shoot 7 of 11 off of Jamal passes from behind the arc, so Great defense. I thought pretty poor defensive execution from Miami. I wish they had turned to the zone a little earlier in this game just to give them different looks. Again, man, Denver was eating all game long out of those blitzes and out of those traps. And then, uh, like I said, man, this was not just those two guys. It was a collective effort, a massive Aaron Gordon game. Being aggressive, taking advantage of mismatches, uh, mismatches has a career-high 27 points, uh, career-high in the playoffs to be exact, 27 points in this game. Being aggressive, attacking the lane, he's got that backdoor lob, and I just thought, I don't know, man, a couple times, just flying through the air, man. Like, I I was just really impressed uh, with Gordon. You got great cutting from all the Nuggets, Murray, Gordon, MPJ, mm -hmm. Bruce, uh, uh, Christian Brown, too, Bruce Brown a little bit, and then I want to give a big shout-out to Bruce Brown. Like I said, man, closed out this game really effectively, making plays down the stretch, stellar defense throughout. And the biggest thing to me, man, consistently getting rim pressure really early in that first half, setting up easy buckets for his teammates. But uh, starting from the Denver Nuggets perspective, this is the best game I've seen Denver play in the NBA Finals. Cohesion, togetherness, effort, firing all cylinders. And I, I still thought there was room to be better. Like, I don't even think this is Denver at its peak. This is a really great Nuggets game and the best one I've seen in the Finals. But I still think there's room for them to be better. It's interesting you describe it as the best game from them because I think game one, they definitely controlled more completely end-to-end, -end, and if they had had an average three-point shooting night or above average, that would have been an absolute blowout. But in terms of the collective production, how many guys stepped up, how well they played together in this game, and how good they were in spite of not having dominant scoring nights from Murray or Jokic, I agree. I thought it was an incredibly impressive effort. And you started with Murray. It's so impressive to see him control a game like this on an off shooting night because no previous version of Jamal Murray was really capable of that before this season. Now in the bubble, he had a playmaking leap. He was quite good overall, but generally his value was going to come and go with his scoring. And he was also a rather inconsistent 
player a few years ago, even though he had those incredibly high peaks because he's this ridiculous pull-up jump shooter, difficult shot maker. He was so reliant on that because he's not a great downhill force rim pressurer, foul drawer kind of guy that he could really wax and wane from game to game. But this one, I thought... Absolutely. Against every coverage, if it was a harder hedge, keeping multiple defenders on him for longer, dissecting, hitting Jokic off the roll, the traps and the blitzes, attacking drop, getting into the teeth of the defense, and then just consistently spotting cutters, spotting open shooters. It was really impressive stuff from him. And although he had great playmaking moments in game three, facing a lot of those traps and blitzes too. He also got tripped up at points and had the seven turnovers. 12 assists to zero turnovers in this game from him, Logan, I think is just such a sign of his maturity and development and progress as a bona fide star, a top 20 player in the league. And the fact that he was able to help command that stretch with Jokic out, it's all a testament to how he has progressed as a player. But I think the two heroes of the night for Denver are clearly Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown. This was an awesome Aaron Gordon game. And I do think it's worth a reminder that there were long stretches of this regular season before Jamal really started to look like his best self. And once he found that rhythm, probably around February, I would say, where Aaron Gordon felt like their second best player, at least in the context in which he's playing because he has such a perfectly complementary skill set to Nikola Jokic as this constant dunker spot, baseline cutter, massive target around the rim who defended his ass off, who is shooting the ball really well right now and had a fine shooting season from deep in the regular season. But he was pivotal. It starts with that non-Jokic stretch in the second quarter when he scores eight straight for Denver and he's got the spot up three he actually had two of those but he was good there tonight as a spot up shooter but it's what you said I mean just ridiculous finishing around the rim and I think one of the most hyper aggressive guys in the league there when it comes to just abusing his physical advantages and obviously he is such an absurd lob threat because of the guy who's capable of making all those passes Nikola Jokic but his size, his length with the seven-foot wingspan, and the fact that he's one of the great leapers at his position in the league. Probably a 40-inch vert, I would say. Obviously, we know what he's capable of in the dunk contest. So you get it from him in all these different ways, attacking smaller dudes in the post, cutting from the baseline. And he is such a skilled finisher around the rim. At times, he looks out of control when he's trying to attack those mismatches, right? Because he doesn't have the sharpest handle. He doesn't always have the sharpest body control as a driver, but aerially, his ability to adjust to passes that may be slightly off target, his ability to finish reverses, it just feels like every time you get a lob up to Aaron Gordon, he's going to finish that thing one way or another, and he did again tonight, but then you also have his playmaking moments, which we spotlighted in game three with the five assists, another strong game from him in that capacity, including that beautiful bounce mm -hmm. pass to Jamal Murray as a cutter. So the dude is just balling out consistently and I think has very clearly been their third best player in this final series. And I think he and Jokic have the best two-man chemistry in the league right now. It's hilarious because I think Jokic and his teammates, like 
You could argue that Murray and Jokic are in that conversation. Murray and MPJ and KCP, all these guys have great chemistry, which tells you a great deal about number 15. But nobody has it like he and Aaron Gordon do. Like, AG is so great at reading. All right, the help is coming. I know Yoke's tendency. He's going to throw me a lob here, right? Or he's coming out of this action. Somebody's going to have to step up for that bit of help. I'm going to be open. He's going to get it to me. And I really think like the only duo in the same tier as them right now is probably Stefan Draymond. Maybe you could put like Trey Young and a John Collins. They're always at the top of the leaderboard in terms of like the assists between a single duo. But so much of that is just pick and roll, Trey making his reads. The variety of ways in which Jokic and AG do it, and the fact that they're both bigs is just really unrivaled. And then Bruce Brown, Logan, a longtime nerd sesh favorite, a guy who we've been talking about for years. And I remember back in the day we did like some sort of role player draft and role player all-star team maybe. He had to be there. Was really good in the two playoff runs that he played in for Brooklyn. And one of the best transition ball handlers, dare I say, in the league. I mean, so good at grabbing and going quick, explosive getting downhill. And he was getting downhill in the half court over and over again too. Duncan Robinson, unfortunately, you got to love what he brings offensively, but he was just <laughs> getting torched by the much quicker Bruce Brown, who was also great finishing in traffic. And then, of course, has that floater game out of pick and roll that we've seen time and again. And he gets the and one with a floater, which is effectively the dagger. And then he adds a second dagger in there just for good measure with that pull up three. He was also nails from deep in this one, and I do think that that's big, how well the Denver supporting cast shot in this game. 14 of 28 from deep, 50%. Like, it was a true collective effort. Those two guys stood out to me, but I also want to focus on the defensive end of the floor because you mentioned the activity. 12 steals in this game, 6 blocks. God knows how many other deflections there were. From the jump, they were excelling there. Bruce Brown is a guy who has great hands, but... KCP also had a couple great moments in this game. Jokic, though, I thought, played a legitimately great defensive game. Mm -hmm. And although I am a massive Jokic fan, it's because I've been calling him the best offensive center ever and the best offensive player in the league for three years. I believe that he is a mediocre defender in totality. I think he falls somewhere within that range of average. And if you think he's a very good defender, I would have to disagree. If you think he's a terrible defender, I would definitely have to disagree. But... I mean, you just saw his absurd hands and positional instincts on display over and over again in this game. Great job of recovering to the roller. Made Bam uncomfortable so consistently. Eight turnovers from him in this game. And you mentioned probably four times just denies an entry pass, taking that kickball violation. But if there's a mismatch down there, then that's a win for the defense. And I also do think disincentivized Miami attacking the rim in this game with his sheer size. And that's one thing that I regret when we talked about Jokic last episode is I sort of referred to him as like a zero as a rim protector because vertically he is in terms of erasing mistakes. He is like that sort of conventional rim protection you think of, but his hands obviously uh, allow him to impact plays there and his sheer size sitting in that drop consistently has forced Miami to settle, and they have not had success as a paint offense in this series. Like, one spot that stands out to me, Jimmy's in transition, and Jokic is just holding his position basically in the restricted area, and he gets him to settle for a little short pull-up jumper, and it rattles out. Like, 
Miami just hasn't had those automatic looks around the rim when Jokic is stationed there very much. And overall, this series, these numbers haven't been updated after today, and it's a very small sample size, so take it with a grain of salt. But he's holding Miami when they challenge him inside of eight feet to 40.7% shooting, which is a 23% differential from their average. So I think at the very least, like... This was a really good game from him. I think it's been a solid series overall. Game three, I thought, was definitely a solid performance from him and a really good team defense performance from the Nuggets, which certainly put them over the top in a game where they didn't have unstoppable Jokic-Murray scoring like they have in some of these other games. So, Carson, you're telling me Nikola Jokic should win defensive player of the year? No, uh, no, no, no. And I will say... It annoys me when people frame him as a very good defender, and that started with his catch-all defensive metrics, like defensive box plus minus, for example, which literally incorporates your assists per game <laughs> because there's a high correlation between great passing bigs and great defensive bigs throughout the course of NBA history. Great. I don't think that we should be relying on broad generalizations when we're trying to say this evaluates this specific player. I digress. I love Jokic. I think his defense is very divisive, but it was just flat out really good in this game. Exactly right. That is an absurd number, I want to say. Like, that is a remarkable number. But I think another area where Jokic excelled, too, is in his ability to recover in this game, too. You know, uh, Miami was not short on running pick and rolls, DHOs, you know, initiating with Bam Adebayo. You get a possession, too, uh, where Bam even runs inverted pick and roll with Jimmy Butler. And I just thought throughout this game, Jokic did a phenomenal job of hedging, of stepping up, you know, not going into a complete drop where he's taking away that mid-range look and then getting back where he can guard against guys coming over too. It wasn't just getting into passing lanes. It wasn't just taking away the rim in a certain way. It was, he's moving too. And I thought that might be a struggle uh, after he has that ankle injury where he lands on Max Struess. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a phenomenal defensive game end-to-end -end from Jokic. And I just want to touch back in on Aaron Gordon, too, dude. It's such a stark difference, Carson, from the series that we saw him play against L.A. It's really remarkable to me the difference in just confidence and aggression that we have seen from Gordon. I mean, he was tentative in that Lakers series, did not want to take any threes. They were giving him all the space in the world. And in this one, it is, bam, gives him that look in the corner, wet. He has another one where they give him the look in the corner, wet. It's easy. He hits another big three later in this game, and it's he just looks really confident, man, and I want this Aaron Gordon full-time. Uh, I think you make a great point about him during the regular season. Lest we not forget, guys, I mean, Aaron Gordon was, I think Aaron Gordon was like my first guy off the all-star ballot, man. I mean that genuinely. It wasn't even close. Gordon was the second best player on this team. Um, the one guy I am slightly disappointed in on Denver's side is Michael Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. And I know he wanes. I know it's his shot's going to come and go, but they're just easy opportunities in this game, dude. When he gets to the bucket on one of those first possessions in the game, it fired me up. I was like, okay, man, we're going to see MPJ get going. Smokes the layup. Uh, next time down the floor, he gets a look. It's slightly contested, but he should finish it. Smokes it. He has another one later in this game where he gets an and one attempt. Smokes it. He has a corner three smokes it and I just keep waiting and they ran actions we talked in game three Denver needs to run deliberate actions to get MPJ in rhythm get this offense kicking they ran pin downs they ran spot up opportunities MPJ just struggling to convert anything 
you know, his activity was great tonight, as was the rest of Denver's. But, you know, I've been thoroughly disappointed outside of cutting and outside of a couple games where MPJ's been really great on the glass and really great defensively. I've just been really underwhelmed by MPJ in the series offensively. I wanted a little more from him. Obviously, uh, they haven't needed it. We've seen other role players step up. Christian Brown last game, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, and this one throughout this series. KCP hit some big shots late in this one. But I've been thoroughly disappointed with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, basically throughout this series. Well, he certainly isn't in the conversation for their third best player. Like Aaron Gordon has been leagues above him. I will say I thought it was really great in that stretch in, I believe it was the second quarter when he had those three good cuts in pretty short succession. I love when MPJ is active and aware off ball like that because I think he's a generational shooting talent and at 6'10 can sort of get a good look spotting up out of handoffs whenever he wants from deep, but when he can also feed off of the attention that Jamal and Jokic are drawing and get those looks around the rim, you're just looking at the ultimate off-ball weapon, right? I mean, it's sort of like a slightly bigger Clay Thompson, really, has always been the offensive vision for MPJ to me because he's so limited creating for himself just with athleticism and feel and playmaking and all these other things. But off-ball has an incredibly high ceiling and can really help this Denver offense. So I did enjoy that. I thought he was in a weird headspace early where clearly mm -hmm. since his perimeter shot has been off he was trying to get a look in the lane trying to see something go through the bucket to get his confidence up to not be so singularly reliant on that perimeter shooting but at the same time it's like it's just not the strength of your game when you're getting good looks from deep pull them and so he has those four drives but really only one of them results in a successful attempt his short range touch shot making isn't a really developed part of his game and then I thought he had some really bad mental lapses defensively, some dumb fouls. Uh, he wasn't really impactful on the glass in this game. So it has not been a good MPJ series. There's no two ways about that. And offensively, it hasn't been a good KCP series. I mean, he comes up with five stocks in this game, obviously. Super impressive there. But I, this is his third straight game in single digits. He hasn't had any of the big shot-making performances that we've seen from him earlier in these playoffs. And here the Nuggets are. They just keep plugging along because they're better. And I think that we are just looking at a really great team right now. I also think Nikola Jokic is in, as I've said many times before, a Tier 1 playoff run. And now I think we have to start looking at where he's going to rank among the best finals performances ever because this is like clearly his weakest game overall and yet I think it's his strongest defensive game and I thought he was still largely in complete control feeding off of everything created for him by Jamal and the shooting run that he's on is so incredibly impressive <laughs> like 47 percent from deep in these playoffs and it was big to him having a productive scoring night tonight and he's got to be one of the three greatest shooting centers we've ever seen. I think that when you include mid-range shooting in that, not talking about just from beyond the arc, he and Dirk really separate themselves into a different tier from anybody else. And it's so strange to me that Jokic had that really down stretch towards the end of last regular season and then into the playoffs where he just really couldn't hit from deep because overall in his playoff career, he's 41%. 
and this run just completely unconscious. And it's so remarkable that you can be the best post scorer in the game, up there for the best passer in the game, up there for the best rebounder in the game, and the best tip-in scorer in the game, and then also have this lethal perimeter shot making. I just don't think it's arguable that he's the greatest offensive center ever. I really don't see the pushback at this point. So you can talk about Shaq's unstoppability as a one-on-one scorer and how he molds a defense and forces them to change their approach so much, but he just cannot weaponize that directly like Jokic can because of the massive playmaking gap. So it's another game where you see his anticipation, his ability to read and react, his skilled shot making. I mean, he was still cooking in isolation. He was drawing help, dotting up cutters in spots. It's the weakest game of the finals, but he's averaging 31, 13 and a half and eight assists very efficiently and I think has certainly an opportunity to make this one of the handful of best finals performances we've ever seen like you got 93 MJ 41 a game 91 MJ I'd probably put in that conversation because of his playmaking you got 2016 Braun 30 11 and 9 five stocks per game and obviously played three incredible games in the most timely scenario there is from down three one such a high two-way level You have Shaq 2000, 38, 17, three blocks per game. And I think 2021 Giannis is right up there with his insane efficiency, 62% from the field while he's putting up 35, 13, and five dominant two-way series. So I think Jokic can climb. I don't know. He'd probably have to have a pretty exceptional game five to go above any of those. But the consistent control in brilliant playmaking he has every night while being the best scorer alive. I'm comfortable to call him that right now because of how consistently he gets those high probability looks in the paint and how no coverage can take him away. He can kill you out of so many different actions and having defended reasonably well in this series and elevating this team offense to such high levels. It is special historic stuff that we have seen from him every round of these playoffs. His consistency in terms of greatness. I just don't think anybody else in the NBA right now touches it. I got two things on that, Carson. One, who's your third best shooting big man all time? Is it Embiid? There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. 
you'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. No, I think Cat. I mean, I think Cat is, frankly, the best three-point shooting big ever because of his ability to create for himself off the dribble and the volume and consistency with which he's done it. But he does not have the same kind of post jump shooting that Dirk and Jokic have. Two, you say that this is going to go down in history as one of the greatest finals performances ever, and I completely agree. Are we going to have some sort of revisionist history where all these Heat fanboys who, like, really are hyping up the Heat in this finals matchup, do you think they're going to try to, do you think people are going to try to discredit this final series after we're done if the Nuggets get this thing done and Jokic balls out by saying, oh, they were playing the Heat? Because I don't want to do that, man. The Heat have frankly played their ass off in this series they've played super hard and mm-hmm. they are a very talented team and I just don't want I just don't want people to look at this in the past and be like oh well Jokic was just playing the heat uh, I don't know do you think that's something that people are going to try to do to discredit this great performance I think there is a part of the NBA community that will discredit literally any player's greatness at any time it's ridiculous the state of discourse and everybody obviously has the opportunity to get their take out there and there is an audience for that take no matter what because a lot of people hate LeBron a lot of people hate Jordan a lot of people hate Jokic a lot of people hate Embiid etc etc I would say though that even if you do view the Heat as a below-average finals team within the scope of NBA history, which although they play well above their talent level, I would agree with, it tells you a whole lot when there is one team that puts them in their place and they're able to take out the Bucks in five, Giannis injuries and all, they embarrassed them in the home stretch of that series, completely exploited their weaknesses, and did the exact same thing to Boston. Obviously, it took them seven, but were able to break down those teams offensively, give Boston fits with the zone, expose that just post-up reliant late-game offense that the Bucks were going to with Giannis, and then reach these super high shooting ceilings and out-execute those teams and all the little things and out-coach them significantly. And then they run into Denver, And all of a sudden, it looks like they're going to be going out in five. And the reason for that is just that this Denver team is great, Logan. Truly great. And if you look at NBA champions since 2000, the only ones with higher net ratings uh, than the Nuggets right now are the 01 Lakers, one of the greatest teams ever. The 09 Lakers, a 65-win champ, great team. 2014 Spurs, 2016 Cavs, and the 2015 and 2017 Warriors. I think you can legitimately argue they are going to be within the upper echelon of champions this century. And the revisionist history will be there. Logan, it already is. There's already people who are trying to delegitimize the fact that they swept the Lakers, who had looked stellar through the first two rounds, who looked like they had two top 10 players and a very good supporting cast and the best defense in the playoff field and LeBron James and 
who were viewed as a team that absolutely could beat the Nuggets. And yet they just disposed of them. And then you have them obviously taking care of the Suns. I mean, beating them by 10 points per game, despite this unbelievable stretch from Devin Booker, who, by the way, had Kevin Durant as his running mate and number two, flaws and all. That's an absurdly talented four seed at the top. And so they're just leaving no doubt. People can say whatever they want. The results are plain to see. This is a great team doing consistently great stuff in a way that nobody else in this playoff field could, and that's why they're dispatching of the Miami Heat like they are. Man, I'm fired up on that, dude. I thought, uh, I, I completely agree with you, dude. I think that, I think Denver does deserve to be in the upper echelon of those champs, and this is a damn good Miami team. They earned their way here, and uh, I think we should give them their props. Uh, on that point, you know, this is an all-hands-on-deck thing. Like you said, man, Miami has consistently overachieved, and I don't mean that they've overachieved their means, but they've outperformed what they have on paper. This is an all-hands-on-deck kind of situation. And I thought we got a really good game from Jimmy. I thought he did a phenomenal job of getting into the lane, of playmaking for his teammates, um, of taking the shots that were there for him. And I thought, bam, Bam played a really good game. I want to give a lot of credit to Bam in this one, especially with all those rim-rattling jams, man. I, I, I rarely see Bam come with that kind of ferocity, right? There's normally times where he's pumping the brakes, he's settling for those shots, and he took a lot of those shots in this one. But he was flying through the lane, man. It's rare that you see Bam play with that kind of burst through the lane, a lot of big-time dunks. There's one thing I want to touch on with Bam Adebayo, though, and it's that I love him. He's one of the best defensive players on planet Earth. He is a genius defender. He's a great passer. You can do so many versatile things with him offensively, right? You see the inverted pick and roll in this game, right? Like, he's never mm-hmm. going to be Jokic, but he's still one of the best centers in those categories, playmaking-wise, in the NBA. And he's very versatile. Bam really struggles to finish and really struggles to finish against smaller defenders when he gets switches. And that's something that I think is really frustrating and that has consistently, I don't know, let him down in these playoffs and in this series. I mean, he's getting a lot of these really easy switches and he's just blowing lays. Like, that is a real area where I think Bam needs to to pick up. But what I was getting at with the all-hands-on-deck, man, you get a great Kyle Lowry game where Lowry plays great in the first half, man. Knocking down some tough shots, a pull-up three, gets into the lane with a layup, hits a contested midi, he's playmaking well, doing a little bit of that foul baiting. I'm not a big fan of that, mm-hmm. but all more the power to the 37-year-old, man. He's crafty. You got to <laughs> do that when you get up there in age, man. You know, you're not as athletic. You lost a little burst, but you can still do those cheeky veteran moves. I thought Kevin Love had a really great stretch, right? Nine straight points, two back-to-back big-time threes, gets that and one. Struess and Vincent have to play better. They shoot like shit from behind the arc. And frankly, Carson, I don't understand why Duncan Robinson isn't starting at this point or playing the majority of these guys' minutes. Like, Robinson has definitively been better than them in this series. Uh, If it's from behind the arc, where he is a deadly marksman, one of the best shooters in all the NBA, he showed tonight driving the lane, knocking down some tough, crucial layups. Defensively, Eh, you know, it's Duncan Robinson, man. He's going to be slow-footed. He's not going to be the most engaged. Or he's going to be engaged, but he's not going to be the most effective. If Struz and Vincent aren't giving you anything, man, why not start D-Rob? Why not give him the majority of these minutes? I mean, to me, they should have done this last game, too. If these guys are clanging, 
Struis and Vincent's primary value is as shooters. If they're not shooting the ball well, put him out there, man. Give me more D-Rob. Give me more uh, Haywood, Highsmith. Give me more anybody else, man. I mean, if they are just not knocking down shots, I don't get why they didn't turn to him more. And so, again, man, that's another big takeaway. I know we've touched a, a, a lot on this about Miami throughout this series. They are the underdogs. They need everybody to show up every night. They need to outperform what they're expected to do every night, right? The only game they won in this series was by three points. They've kept all of these games relatively close, but all of their individual players have to outperform expectations, and they didn't do that tonight. Shrews and Vincent did not shoot well. You didn't get a great outburst from any of these other guys, and yeah, like I said, frankly, man, I just think Spolster needs to turn to Duncan Robinson a little more. Not that this is going to swing the tide of the series. I don't think it's going to, but you play your best players who are playing well, and Vincent and Shrews haven't been. Duncan Robinson single-handedly swung a game for you and has shown that he's way more capable than just being a spot-up shooter in this series. So I think we need to see him start or get a ton of burn next game if those guys aren't hitting, man. I don't understand why. Spolster has been kind of reluctant to turn to him. I think he's definitively mm-hmm. one of their five best players, especially in this series. I think really the only counter argument is that he is more exploitable defensively, but he's in a different class offensively than like a Max Struess right now because of his versatility, which is kind of a crazy thing to say about Duncan Robinson, who has historically been so defined by his special status as a pure shooter. But yeah, I mean, you can just get him looks out of so many actions the handoffs, and then you trust his decision-making, playmaking, mm-hmm. finishing around the rim at a level that you don't with any of those other guys. And again, in this one, I mean, he comes in, he gets his 12 points on 5 of 7 shooting, just was not good defensively whatsoever, really the only concern there, which is a legit concern, but I agree with you. I think the Heat need all the juice that they can get, and that's just what this comes down to, right? They didn't have enough juice. They didn't have enough guys who could step up. They couldn't consistently create a high enough shot quality, and Jimmy, I thought, was really good. I thought Jimmy hunted mismatches in this game. I thought that he was able to get his short-range shot-making going, and I thought he had some really good foul drawing just with his craftiness, his ability to get guys jumping with fakes and whatnot. You mentioned it, the great Lowry first half, his pull-up jump shooting and foul baiting. You had the weirdly great Kevin Love third quarter that included a banked-in three and a weird drive. Lowry also banked in a three. But, yeah, they didn't have the supporting cast shooting outside of that. And Bam, I think, has been really good overall in this series. And, of course, he's gotten toasted by Jokic, but he's made him work in a way that nobody else has constantly fighting for position, constantly making him work on the glass, attacking offensively at a high volume, making Jokic work on that end of the floor. But you're right. He's not a great scorer of the basketball. And we mentioned all the turnovers in this game too. He struggles with very active hands around the rim, and he is highly reliant on his short-range shot making, which just is not great. I mentioned last episode, 8 to 16 feet in these playoffs, he's a 41% shooter. And that's a heavy part of his shot diet. So games one and two of this series, when he is just scorching, and really game three, he was pretty good from that range too, he can be a really, really tough offensive weapon because if you're conceding those looks out of drop, then he's going to kill you with that touch shot making. If you try to hedge or play that higher drop and you give him the four on threes, then he's a good athlete who can attack, who can read the floor as a playmaker. But when he's not making those skilled shots, 
then he can't really attack mismatches. He doesn't move people out of the post like that. He's going to be reliant on his touch shot making, and he's not nearly as devastating out of pick and roll. And unfortunately, we've just seen things trend a bit more in that direction for him. So I don't think Miami has any more stops to pull out that are going to change the way that this thing is headed. And listen, I felt that Denver is convincingly better from the jump. I picked Denver in five, and uh, I've really held to that throughout. Miami made this game ugly. They made it physical that first quarter. I was mm -hmm. really surprised by the level of physicality that the officials were allowing in terms of Miami's interior defense on Denver, but they did that. Again, they didn't let up great scoring games, particularly to Jamal. I think it was just so impressive how good Bam was on all those switches, which is why he's in the conversation for a top 20 player, maybe inconsistent offensively and especially as a scorer, but so easily the most switchable big in the league. I mean, his feet are on another level, and Jamal just can't attack him. Like, he's never going to get a step. Any little bit of ground that may be given up to him, Bam can close with his length. And so Jamal just has not had success in that matchup all series. But they didn't have enough juice, man. They're not as talented. They're not as good. They don't have the best player alive. And frankly, they don't have a comparable supporting cast. Denver is just better top to bottom. It showed in this one, and it's why they're going to be the NBA champions. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I think there are things that Miami can do differently next game, right? I think you switch up the looks a little more. You give them some more zone, switch that in a little more earlier in the game. I, I don't think it's going to be terribly effective. Denver's been pretty successful against it. I think that you can run less blitzes and less traps, right? Like, I think going straight up against Jamal... Sure, yeah. you don't want to do it, but I mean, you're conceding points damn near every possession when you send it that because Jamal's just unfazed. He's going to backpedal. Mm -hmm. Denver, and it's like Malone and them have talked about this, Carson. We're going to send multiple guys up when you send the trap against Jamal. It's going to lead to easy buckets. We're going to do this when you do this. Like, it's been a really fun chess match to watch between Malone and Spolster, but like you said, man, I don't know if there's any more stops that they can pull out, any new ones that are going to change the complexion of this series. Like, mm -hmm. we've seen it all. And like I said, I think we can get more Duncan Robinson, switch in a little more zone, a little less traps. We can get a great Jimmy game. But, yeah, I don't think there's anything that they can do to really concretely swing this series. I also took the Nuggets in five before this thing started, and I'm pretty confident that Denver's going to get it done at home next game. And if not, I'm pretty confident they're going to finish this thing off point blank, period. Denver is the better team, and Nikola Jokic is the best player on the planet. I agree with you in terms of trying to mix in the zone a bit more, especially combined with the press where, again, they can force Denver to get into their actions late into the shot clock. I think they have to try that as much as they can in game five. And I do think a part of the reason that it's been so effective in spots is just because it's such a new and sort of disruptive look. The more time you give Denver to adjust to it, I think the less effective it becomes. But... You can't just let them get comfortable against any one look over and over again. And the Jamal thing is really hard, dude. There is no answer to the Murray-Jokic pick and roll, right? Like, it would be great if you could just switch it because Bam can clearly hold his own against Jamal, mm -hmm. but then Nikola Jokic has some little guy on him, and it's just an automatic bucket if Jamal gives it to him if he's able to get a clean entry pass in there. The Nuggets are just too good. They're a historically great offense, the greatest offense in terms of offensive rating of any champion ever, if they are able to achieve that. And so they're just going to keep coming over and over again. 
And I think it's so impressive what they've done. And I think it's an incredibly impressive organizational accomplishment. And they made another move today, which was kind of funny in the midst of all this finals talk. They did a deal with OKC where they get the least favorable of the Thunder's first round picks in 2024, the 37th pick in 2023, and a 2024 second rounder for a protected 2029 first rounder which I just think is a great value deal for them, right? You get another first-round pick to cash in on in this window, a couple other shots at role players, potentially. And I just think you have to give both Tim Connolly, who was the president of basketball operations, is now in Minnesota, and Calvin Booth, who has assumed that title since Connolly left before this season, tons of credit because... Aaron Gordon has been huge, and they got him for Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a 2025 first-round pick. None of those pieces are stinging you to give up. And then they paid Aaron Gordon what at the time felt like a lot, four years, $92 million, but really is a pretty solid value contract. You could argue a bit of a steal given how important and how good he is in Denver specifically. They had the... Monte Morris and Will Barton for KCP and Ish Smith deal, which I think a lot of people sort of dismissed. And Morris and Barton had actually been like their best backcourt players for a year and a half with Jamal Murray hurt as flawed as Barton was. Monte Morris, you know, legitimately did a lot well. But KCP, even if it hasn't been this series, has been so good throughout this season and this playoff run. And then obviously the Bruce Brown two-year $13 million deal. He's going to be gone after this year, unfortunately for them, because he has a player option. It's a one-and-one, one, but what incredible value, dude. That guy just swung this game. He's the one who put it to bed. He's been so good throughout this playoff run. He's a 12-point-per-game scorer who's also a plus playmaker and defender and transition weapon and rebounder positionally, and you just steal him from the market. And then you have like the fundamental core pieces, Awesome drafting. You get Jamal 7th. You get MPJ 14th. You get Nikola Jokic 41st. None of those are premier picks. And you invest in all of them. It's paying off. Like, Jokic is obviously a no-brainer, but you give Jamal five years, $160 million. Guess what? That's actually a good value contract. You give MPJ five years, $180 million. Sure, it's a steep price for him, especially in a vacuum, but I do think it's justifiable given the fact that you're contending, you want to hold on to this core piece of yours, and he is such a great complementary weapon when he's playing his best. They give Aaron Gordon his money. Like, it's just awesome team building, and it's in a way that we haven't really seen a champion built in quite some time. Mm -hmm. This level of homegrown talent with just really smart acquisitions, no star level guys, no top 20 players, but still pieces that are going to be absolutely essential to this title run, all at good value. I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment for them to be sitting where they are right now on the verge of their first title ever as a franchise. Well, first of all, I don't want to give Tim Connolly credit for anything because he single-handedly has run the Minnesota Timberwolves into the ground. Well, guess what, buddy? <laughs> He's the one who got MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray all on this team. I'm fighting for my boy Donnie and all Timberwolves fans worldwide <laughs> with this one, okay? Um, I'm going to war for him. But you're right, too. And, I mean, stylistically, Carson, the Denver Nuggets are really unique in the fact that, you know, they're built primarily through offense, right? We get a great defensive performance tonight. But, again, you look at the history through, you know, since 2000. You pointed out last episode uh, – all the teams that, you know, were poor 
defense teams in the regular season. They're all pretty anomalies. Like Denver's going to be the worst team, the worst team defense overall uh, that we've seen win a title in a long time. And it's the greatest offense of all time. So it doesn't matter, but it really is rare, man. I don't know if, right, like we could say, oh, this is replicable. Just buy into your stars, but when the hell are you going to find an MVP with the 41st pick? When the hell are you going to get yeah. a star level guard that late? When are you going to get such a good complimentary piece? It's, it's the perfect storm. It's great mm-hmm. fusion. It's been great decision-making. And like you said, dude, it's hard. When guys are struggling or uh, it's hard to invest in the right guys and make all these good decisions, and it's come together, man. They've really done this to perfection. I think it's a genius move, uh, what they did with Oklahoma City. Like you said, they're going to need cheap talent. There's going to be some steals in the second round of this year's draft. There's no harm in getting another first. I'm confused, though. Why do you think Bruce Brown's going to opt out, man? He's going to get a bag somewhere else? I'd go and... I try to ring chase, man, and run my, you know, load my fingers up. That'd be great, but I don't know that he's ever going to be primed for a bigger deal than he will coming off of a championship run in which he performed very, very well. I mean, I'm not going to ever uh, speak on another man's money, so you know, I mean, if he wants to go get the bag, but I don't know. It'd yeah, be- call him a sellout. No, 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 call him a sellout. <laughs> He's, look, he's buying look, in. Look into the camera and say, Bruce Brown, I think you're a sellout. I won't do it, but I do want to see this team <laughs> stick together because they play really fun basketball. I think Bruce Brown, say it with me, guys. If you've been with Nerd Sesh for a long time, he's a Swiss Army Swiss knife. Army he knife. does it all. Yeah, Swiss Army knife, baby. He does it all, and he compliments his team really well, and I'd like to see this core stick together because, frankly, the Denver Nuggets – play beautiful basketball, and Bruce Brown is part of that conglomerate. And uh, I want to see it stick together, man. I like seeing good basketball. Like, I know people hated the Warriors. I know people hated the Spurs. It's beautiful basketball, man, and I like watching it. And the Denver Nuggets play aesthetic basketball. And you're right when you talk about this not being a replicable thing necessarily because guess what? The factor driving all of this is that they have a top 15 player in terms of peak right now in NBA history and one of the handful of greatest offensive players ever. They've done a really good job building a team around him this year. The roster has taken a massive leap, obviously, beyond just getting healthy Jamal back. KCP and Bruce Brown were home run additions. Aaron Gordon has gotten significantly better, but it's because you have an all-time talent and there's only so many of those guys throughout the history of this sport and there's only so many in the league at a given time. So, It's really, really fun to see this team and to have observed their arc and enjoyed how they play basketball so much for years. To see them on the precipice of this great accomplishment is really awesome. The one last thing I want to touch on here, just very quickly, you mentioned, Logan, that fifth foul call on Jokic. I just think the NBA needs to have a better mechanism for reversing flop calls that are rewarded. I think fundamentally refs have to have the situational awareness to not reward that kind of stuff, especially when it can potentially be a fifth foul on the best player on the floor in game four of the NBA finals. But this is just an epidemic. And I think all in all foul baiting, unnatural moves, completely embellishing contact to the point where you fall on the floor. And then the refs are to some extent forced to make a call. I understand why they feel that pressure because you're just going to play on with a five-on-four advantage when likely there was at least something there that caused the guy to flop. Like, I understand why this stuff happens, but there needs to be a way to counter it more effectively because it is doing damage to 
the product in what should be unequivocally the most beautiful era of basketball ever because the skill level is the highest it's ever been. I think the offensive ingenuity is the best it's ever been. So let's maximize that and let's take this ugliness out of the game that really doesn't belong there. But all in all, I've enjoyed these finals. I know there are the people who will have their gripes and be so sad that LeBron isn't playing the Celtics, but I think it's been a fun strategic matchup. I think the ebbs and flows have been interesting, and I think more than anything, it's just been really great to watch a Denver team that is this exceptional do their thing and to see a new team rise to this mm-hmm. special, special status that is awarded to NBA champions. Again, they still have to get there. They have to go over the top, but I would just be so surprised if they don't do that. So we will be back here after game five, potentially a coronation or another Miami voodoo magic moment. We'll have to <laughs> wait and see, but appreciate you guys as always. If you enjoyed the show, then please Subscribe to the Volume YouTube page if that's where you're watching. You can also listen to the show across audio platforms. And if you want to rep Nerd Sesh, we have some new merch. Our first ever merch drop over on the Volume website. You can get yourself a shirt, a hoodie, a hat, a Nerd Sesh flag like the one Logan has behind him right now. So go ahead and check that out if you want. You can also follow us across social media. TikTok is at Nerd Sesh. That's where we're most consistent with our trivia content clips from the show as well instagram is the same handle and twitter is at nerd underscore sesh so if you want to stay plugged into what we're doing you can follow us in all those places and you can join our discord that is at the link tree in our bio across our social handles and gives you access to basically every uh nerd sesh avenue that you could consume us through and the discord specifically is just a place that you can come and talk basketball football with us kind of whenever you want We like talking to you guys in there. So with that, as always, I've been Carson Breber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.